0: listening to story city church in granada hills california we exist to glorify god by leading communities into healthy relationships with jesus and with others and here is this week's message this time we have uh steven and he's going to read a statement for us for uh, juneteenth good morning everybody (laughs) Uh, My name is Stephen. I'm honored to
1: be on staff here at Story City Granada Hills. Uh, Before we get to our scripture reading and sermon today, uh, I want to let you know that we're celebrating more than just Father's Day. Uh, Though it is officially celebrated tomorrow, today we're also celebrating Juneteenth. Uh, For those who don't know, on June 19th, 1865, a full two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation, a representative of the U.S. government rode into Galveston, Texas to proclaim that slavery was over and African Americans were free. And though it has just become a federal holiday, Juneteenth, or Emancipation Day, has been celebrated for more than 150 years. But you may be asking why, in particular, Story City Church is celebrating Juneteenth. First and foremost, uh, reconciliation, including racial reconciliation, is a gospel-mandated way of living. Revelation 7 describes the end time of when all tribes, nations, peoples, and languages will worship together around the throne of the living God. In Jesus, all apprentices experience full restoration and are therefore called to be people who value and practice restoration. In Story City's Culture Code, we're committed to both the regular practice of restoration and the practice of the pursuit of diversity. And when we say pursuing diversity, we mean all forms of diversity. We want our church to be accessible to a myriad of different backgrounds, be it socioeconomic, social, cultural, and yes, racial. You may know that Story City Church was planted by a Southern Baptist church in Woodstock, Georgia. The Southern Baptist Convention itself was actually founded on the evil premise of protecting slave owners' rights. The SBC has since repented and worked hard to bring about change. In 2019, at their national convention meeting in Birmingham, Alabama, our denomination sincerely apologized for both our beginnings and for failing to acknowledge or repent from our sin for many years. And while we still have a long way to go, I'm confident that we're on a path to becoming a denomination and church that is reflective of Revelation 7. While the world has become much more aware of the injustice experienced in black communities due to events like the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, it wasn't that long ago that these events were more typical than many people realize. Sometimes, because we have dealt with these issues so resolutely in our own minds, we forget that there are people in places still in the midst of the struggle. These are not as far off as some of us might imagine. For instance, one of our members recently shared that her mom was pelted in the face with eggs and rocks when she attended a desegregated school for the first time. That was only one generation ago. Some of us in this room may have personally experienced hate, discrimination, and even violence. Stories like this are shared by a number of those in our Story City family. The focus of our current sermon series has been the path of lament. There are two main reasons to walk the path of a The first is when we are not in alignment with God's character, word, or will. The second is when we or the people around us experience injustice. God is a God of justice, and therefore we must be a people who love and value justice as well. Anytime we or the people around us experience experience injustice, we should walk the path of lament. However, Juneteenth is not the day for lament. While there is still much place for sorrow and lament for our black brothers and sisters in the United States, today is the day for joy, hope, and celebration. Today is Emancipation Day. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep, but also to rejoice with those who rejoice. Today, we rejoice with our black brothers and sisters. Today is their day, and we invite you into the celebration. While this holiday has long been celebrated in the African-American community, we rejoice that it is now being acknowledged more widely, and we are delighted to join in. The path of lament leads us to hope in the darkest places, that love wins, that community, the African-American community has modeled this well for us, and we rejoice in their legacy. We celebrate the victories and the testimonies of our brothers and sisters, and today, join them in the celebration of freedom. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of lament, and then into a time of gratitude to our Savior. After that, Jonathan will continue with reading our scripture for this morning, and then I'll proceed with today's message. Uh, please join us in, in a time of prayer. Lord, um, I thank you for, for, for um, just orchestrating a time where we as a church would be focusing on the concept of lament and what it means to cry out to you when times are difficult, and times are desperate. How we can see you for who you are and, uh, and lean on that and uh, how we can try to find hope even when, when we have a hard time seeing it. And Lord, we, um, we still live in a broken world that you will one day make right. And um, in the midst of the suffering and the injustice, I pray that you would make us a people who mourn, with the, who mourn with those who mourn, who rejoice with those who rejoice, and would walk alongside the suffering and oppressed people in our culture as people who step into their pain as you, Lord, stepped into ours. Lord, you gave of yourself for us and help us to give of ourselves for one another to your glory. We thank you, God, that you are God who has promised us that it is not gonna stay this way forever, that you will restore all things. You will make every sad thing untrue. You will bring justice to the injustice in your time and in your will. We lean on that, God, in the days where it's hard to see, but we trust you and we love you and we thank you for being the defender of the innocent and for being a God who makes all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: If you want to stand with me for the reading of our, for the scripture today, it's Psalm 10. And uh, at the end of the reading, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and I'm going to invite you to respond. Thanks be to God. We're starting in verse one. The Bible says, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the lord in all his scheming the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there's no god his ways are always secure your lofty judgments have no effect on him he scoffs at all his adversaries he says to himself i will never be moved from generation to generation i will be without calamity cursing deceit and violence fill his mouth trouble and malice are under his tongue He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down, helpless, helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God. Lift your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account, but you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the Father Break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you look for his wickedness, but he can't be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you for that, Jonathan, uh, for sharing this morning. Good morning, again. I had to make sure I didn't write the same intro twice since I was going to come up here early. Um, I'm happy to be up here with you today to continue our series on the Psalms of Lament and celebrate Juneteenth and Father's Day as well. Uh, In preaching today's passage that concerns justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, and in partnering with my wife in helping to raise four really amazing African-American adopted children, I'd like to take a moment before we really get into the meat of the message today to tell you a story. Uh, A story about being a father and looking for hope and justice for the fatherless and the oppressed. So, uh, for those of you who are new here today, or don't know me and my family very well, or have never met my children, uh, they're actually—make sure this is still accurate—all serving in the kids' ministry this morning. So, uh, I get to talk about them. So, I don't tell anything. Um, but all four of my children, they were born in the country of Uganda. And I would like to talk a little bit about the adoption process of my oldest two children, Molly and Jude. Um, so Molly and Jude, they were actually, even though they're the oldest, they were, they're the two most recent kids um, to come into our family. So uh, I don't wanna explain the order in which we got our children. It'll make your eyes cross. It, it, was, just, it was all out of order. Just, just know that. Um, but that's how the Lord worked. And so um, anyway... They're the two most recent kids to come into our family and have been with us come Wednesday. uh, It'll be five years uh, that they've been with our family uh, united. They, like all of my children, have a phenomenal story that's worth telling even uh, if or when they decide to tell it. But in bringing our family together, the Lord gave Allison and I a pretty incredible story too. Um, when we agreed to pursue the adoption of Molly and Jude, we actually had already been approaching the end of a pretty difficult season in adopting our youngest son, Solomon, uh, because of the circumstances that they are're a much longer story that i won 't trouble you with now. We were compelled to make a hairpin like turnaround and jumping right back into the adoption process before his process was even fully done um, From the time that we decided to pursue bringing Molly and Jude into our family, it took three years before they would come home. And those three years were, of course, long, and not one of those days was easy. In fact, until they had plane tickets in their hand and were seated on the plane... um, Those days only got darker the deeper that we got into the process. Um, In that three-year process to bring our family fully together, uh, just a few samples for you guys, we had a Ugandan attorney drop our case out of nowhere, and you can't exactly find a new foreign adoption attorney at the bus stop on the bench. Uh, They don't advertise for that around here very much. A period of time after that, uh, the adoption agency here in the U.S. that we had placed our trust in shut down suddenly uh, because one of its owners had decided to steal all the family's funds and leave the country um, with no way for us to recoup what we had lost. When we actually made it to Uganda to begin court proceedings, we were met with pushback from corrupt foreign officials who were seeking their own personal gain and corrupt extended relatives who sought to harm our children by giving false testimonies regarding their story. Uh, Not only were things difficult in dealing with the Ugandan government, but things were also difficult with the American government as well, imagine that. Um, Immigration is a difficult process for people to navigate, um, but it got especially and unnecessarily more difficult during this season of life due to American politics. Um, In other words of Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. Um, Even during the process, we discovered we had been betrayed by friends that we had trusted who fed misinformation about our case and created more problems for us along the way. And uh, the cherry on top of all this was the fact that my wife and I were not able to endure this process together. Uh, The process dictated that uh, that we had to stay in the country until the process was complete. Um, And Allison and I were committed to doing that. Allison had agreed to stay in Uganda with Molly and Jude, and the school year was starting for our other two children, Rosemary and Solomon, so I would stay here and see them through that. Um, The process of being in country in our previous um, processes was somewhere between like five to seven weeks um, each time, which is a lot for us, but we knew what to expect. So we're like, yeah, we can do that again. Um, That was our initial context. uh, And what we were met with instead was being apart for a year. Um, I don't know how that amount of time to be separated from your family impacts you. But when 90% of that year um, was one unknown day after another, Not knowing just when your family will come home, but if they'll come home, is devastating. Um, I spent a lot of nights, a lot of them, reassuring my family that things were gonna be okay, that all things were eventually gonna work out, only to end up alone at night, crying out to God and asking for his help to get me to believe that too begging God who has stated over and over again his care for the orphan and fatherless to do something to actually care for these two who were so precious to us, to unite a separated family. Some nights I was hanging on to a shred of faith because that was all I had left. Um... I'm a big fan of this band called Need to Breathe. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Check them out on Spotify, free plug for you guys. Um, uh, But they have this song called Wasteland that uh, I I listened to a lot during that time. And um, one of the lines of the song says, in this wasteland where I'm living, there's a crack in the door filled with light and that's all that I need to get by. I was lamenting before I really understood what all that word entailed, um, as we've as it has been as we've been discussing it, you know, the past few weeks. Um, I didn't have much to hold on to in those days, uh, just the memory of what it took to get the two kids who were sleeping across the hall from me home. And when it felt impossible in those days, it wasn't impossible. The hope that was instilled in me from seeing their adoptions come to fruition. um, The crazy, and and maybe there's a better word for it, but when it comes to my own words, I'm not very good with with coming up with good ones. So here we go. Um, The crazy idea of diving right back into an exhausting, trying process of another two international adoptions right as one was still being finalized. Uh, That idea was only stripped of its craziness because we were so certain that God was leading us in that direction. There's fewer things in life that I've been more sure of than knowing that God wanted us to pursue Molly and Jude. And knowing that and remembering his faithfulness before with our kids kept me going on nights when I tell you I I had nothing else. So I tell you all that story to tell you our big idea today, which is hope can be found in the darkest places. Before we dig deeper, don't worry, I'm not going to make you stand up again, but we're going to revisit Psalm 10, Um, so if you just uh, pay attention, listen quickly, as my dad used to say. Um, Psalm 10, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there's no God. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments have no effect on him. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I will never be moved. From generation to generation, I will be without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net. So he is oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, Lord God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the oppressed. Why has the wicked person despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account. But you yourself have seen trouble and grief observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless one entrusts himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked, evil person until you can look for his wickedness, but it can't be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere humans from the earth may terrify them no more. So week three into our series, and now we're actually going to look at a psalm written by King David, the uh, Johnny Cash of the Old Testament, if you will. Um, He's kind of overlooked compared to his brothers as a young man. He did some military time, had some run-ins with criminal activity, wrote some killer songs, and despite it all, he was still doing his best to follow the heart of God. What's interesting about Psalm 10, though, is that uh, it's really more of a second verse than a standalone psalm. It appears to be paired with Psalm 9 as one song over two chapters, uh, set to the tune of the death of the son. So, you know, you have an idea about David's mood already going into this. Um, Psalm 9 and 10 are referred to as what is called an acrostic psalm, where each line begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, um, Psalm 9 contains the first half of the alphabet. Psalm 10 contains the second half of the alphabet, which suggests that there's something to be gained from reading them as a pairing. So one thing I'd like to encourage you guys to do uh, on your own time this week, if you're uh, reading you know, uh, on your own or um, listening to the Bible app or with your missional group or something, maybe check out both of those Psalms together to get a greater idea um, of what these Psalms in their totality to see what David's greater context is here. Now, we see the bulk of the lamenting here taking place in Psalm 10, though our, our passage for today. With all the things that we discuss about lamenting during this series, uh, one thing, and this is not like an actual point, but just from me to you, uh, that I really hope you'll walk away with is that it is, not, it is not a sinful thing to recognize God for who he says he is and then cry out to him in desperation when you can't see evidence of him being who he says he is. This book that our pastors are reading uh, during this series, is, is, this series is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Vrogop and it examines the process of lament as uh, this four-step process, uh, turning, complaining, asking, and trusting. Um, turning in God to prayer and making your complaints known to him, rooted in the truth of knowing who God is. Like that that idea, that process that's all over scripture and that's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, God knows our hearts and desires to see us pour our hearts out to him so that he can transform us to be more like Christ, whether it's by showing us his mighty works or teaching us to be more dependent on him in the darkest times. Our trials, our lamenting, when focused in the right direction, can be a means for God to show hope to people who haven't recognized it yet. And that leads us uh, to our first observation today, which is hope is brought to our communities by modeling lament. In verses 8 through 11, uh, David laments about these prideful, wicked predators, and he says, he waits in ambush near settlements. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He, He lurks in order to seize a victim. He seizes a victim and drags him in his net so he's oppressed and beaten down. Helpless people fall because of the wicked one's strength, and he says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Um, according to a uh, cultural backgrounds study Bible I was using preparing for this morning, um, in verse eight, when he talks about being near the settlements to ambush people, um, most, most Israelites, actually they, they lived in unwalled villages clustered close to larger walled cities. So a walled city uh, served as a place of refuge during times of war, uh, you know, would provide a central market for villagers to buy and sell goods and produce and offered important social services such as judicial resources. Um, While traveling to and from cities and fields, people were exposed to danger from robbers lurking among rocks or trees, especially in the more rugged hill country and at night when returning from the fields. So David is drawing imagery here about underprivileged, unprotected, vulnerable people literally geographically living on the margins of a society and how they are the easiest targets and how they're preyed upon by people who are quick to victimize and are convinced of their ability to get away with their crime. David is crying out to God to protect the helpless because he knows God loves them and is their defender and we should be a people who do the same. To recognize the injustices in our communities, in our families or in the families of people we hold dear to us and call on God to deliver his hope and his justice to those situations story city church as a collective like we often say is one church in two locations Uh, we live to bring the gospel to the families and communities we call home but we also carry a couple of points of emphasis or majors sometimes as we call them Um, and foster care and adoption is one of those majors of story city church We live in a heartbreaking reality that in our world today we see the wicked playing out verses 8 through 11 in that there is anywhere between 50 and 90 percent of children who have been trafficked that have a history with the foster care system. Um, Foster kids who exit their care without some kind of permanency of family are being lured into trafficking at high rates and Story City Church has committed in making efforts to create supportive and safe spaces and structures to fight this evil head-on. This is something we've made one of our majors here. And one example of that is, um, you know, a month ago we, we mentioned it during one of our announcements, but the work being done at Royal Family Kids Camp, where some of our members are this week, uh, caring and serving in the foster system. We model laments by turning to God calling attention to these injustices, asking him to intervene on behalf of the oppressed and the fatherless, and trusting that God is who he says he is, the defender of the innocent. And if we can trust God to be who he says he is, then we can know our second observation for today, which is hope is a certainty. At the end of his complaining at the end of his asking, David declares in verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. The reign of our God will not be disrupted. It always has been, it is, and it always will be. Now, I know it's not always easiest to see, but it is there. David's trust is growing here by the end of the psalm as we can see he is already trusting a certainty of outcome. He declares the Lord is king forever. He declares that the Lord hears the cries of the afflicted and that God encourages them, defends them, and will stop the terror that is being inflicted. He's planting his flag, so to speak, in the character of God, and is choosing to trust what he knows and has already been shown of God's faithfulness to push him forward. I referenced the book a few minutes ago, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, uh, earlier, and and I'd like to share a quote from Mark Vrogop regarding trust. He says, every Christian has a record of God's steadfast love. Therefore, we should remind ourselves about God's worthiness to be trusted. To be a Christian means trusting in what God says and who he is. We came to faith that way. We trusted that the Bible is true. We believed forgiveness is possible for those who receive Christ. Trusting in God's grace welcomed us into God's family, but that was only the beginning. He goes on to say, choosing to trust through lament requires that we rejoice without knowing how all the dots connect. We decide to let God be his own interpreter, trusting that somehow his gracious plan is being worked out, even if we can't see it. The hope that we have that meets us in the darkest places and carries us through the difficult times is born from and made available because of Jesus Christ. Nothing else, family. Christ alone is faithful to save us, to forgive us, to sustain us, and to enable us to keep going when obeying God is met with, that's a crazy decision, or the only light you have left is a crack in the door. Uh, In 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul himself is lamenting due to an unspecified struggle he's facing. All we know is that he refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. He turned and complained and asked God to remove it, but it didn't happen. But what he did get in return was an answer from God. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, my dad held on pretty tight to that passage when he was dying of cancer. And one of the last things that he shared from a pulpit before he was too sick to keep preaching was the notion that sometimes there can be a ministry in the thorn, something that God can use to tell us something. Paul learns his lesson and goes on to say the following at the end of 2 Corinthians 12. Verse 9, he says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our hope is a certainty because Christ is a certainty. His grace is certain, and his strength, despite our weakness in this life, is certain. So we must not lose hope when it is instilled in us by the grace of God. It's not going anywhere. And that brings us to the third observation today. Hope is the beautiful tension of what is and what will be. C.S. Lewis once said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I know we cry out, we lament, because we're not satisfied with the world that lies before us, full of injustice, oppression, hatred, and tragedy. And why should we find satisfaction in a world like this? Because we're not made for this world, at least not in the state that it exists. Our world has been broken and cursed ever since sin entered into it. So, of course, it would make sense that our souls balk, they react and grieve when we witness injustice in our communities, whether it's someone being separated from their family, children in foster care getting mistreated, or as I mentioned in our Juneteenth statement, um, Ahmaud Arbery, who was gunned down in the street while going for a neighborhood jog. We were made for more than what we see now. And we get a glimpse of what's to come when we experience and share the love of Jesus with one another. When we place our faith in Christ, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we trust that he is who he says he is and received and receive the gift of forgiveness of our sins, we can start to cl- catch glimpses of the world we're made for. A world where, due to the lament of a grieving public when local district attorneys were trying to sweep a murder under the rug, Ahmaud Arbery's three killers were arrested, tried, and all are serving life sentences in prison. A world where kids in foster care can experience unconditional love, hope, and safety from a church that seeks to serve them. And bear with me. (laughs) A world where a young Ugandan girl never stopped believing she'd make it out of her injustice. She and her brother did. And now, against all odds, she's gonna be the first person in the history of her biological family to go to college. We get a glimpse of the world we're made for now, but we also have a future hope because we have a savior who one day is gonna make all things right again. That world will no longer be a glimpse The world we're made for will also be a certainty. No more terror to be struck. No more justice to be inflicted. Only the reign of our King forever and ever. And no one will be exploited or preyed upon ever again. God hears our desires to make things right, and he intends on doing just that. In Revelation 21, John writes, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. God gives us hope to persevere now and one day he will fulfill our very hope and to all of eternity. One more thing, and, uh, and I'm actually going to wrap up here. There is a phrase that my wife and I like to quote if in our parenting our patience starts to wear thin. Uh, it's just a line from a TV show. You'll you'll know it if you're a fan. Um, but it goes, have you lost your mind? Because I will help you find it. Um that's free for any moms and dads who need some extra stuff to say to your kids on those days um now i know my life and the past that i've walked and how i was able to hold on to hope in dark places but i'll be transparent i don't know your life or all the past that you've walked maybe you're the one crying out right now maybe you're starting to feel like you've lost hope With no amount of irony or cleverness intended, please let me say to you with the most genuine heart that I know how to have, and on behalf of this church, if you've lost your hope, we'd love to help you find it. If you have questions about what it means to trust God, what it looks like to follow Jesus, how to live like a person who can still hold on to hope in the darkness, we'd love to walk alongside you in discovering that. Hope can still be found. In the darkest places, let's pray, Lord. And we uh, we're we're really impatient when we don't know what's going on. And uh, God, I just, I just thank you for for being patient with us. Um, we we know what you've promised and what you've said, and. Um, it's just a lot to take sometimes, seeing the world that we live in, knowing that it wasn't what we were made for and that it's not what you intended. And I just pray, God, that any hearts here today, um, if they're feeling, experiencing any oppression, any injustice, if they're having hard feelings about Father's Day, any of that stuff, God, that we just be near to them. Make that hope certain for them. Help us, God, to see the pain in our friends and family, to look for it, to see it, so we can walk together and encouraging one another to lean on you, because you're all that we've really got in the first place. Lord, thank you for being so reliable, so dependable and trustworthy, and knowing that we can keep going because you're the one who's pushing us. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at eleven zero eleven Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at StoryCitychurch.com. Go and be the church.